You're listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast. It's the Writer's Pit. I'm your host, writer, blogger, and I can't think of anything interesting. Rob Matheny. And this is Philip Overby. Yay! <laughs> wacky, wacky. And we have a special guest on the program today. Joining us in the pit is author of Ravens in the Sky, a dark compass novel, book one, Will Bly. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me, man. Glad to have you on the program. Looking forward to our conversation. We're going to get in the pit and uh, yeah. talk about writing and shit. Yeah, we're, we're going to go places. Dark places. So I All just right. hope the listeners are ready for this episode because look out, people. Look alive. <laughs> uh, so you are a writer of fantasy fiction. You've got a book out. You uh, are an indie author. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Ravens in the Sky. I was actually an academic first, and then I noticed that I was writing thousands and thousands of words of, of bullshit that I actually like wasn't happy writing. So then I wrote Ravens for myself. And uh, Ravens in the Sky takes place in a world where only a select few people are born with magic. And those who are born with magic, they're limited to only what they have. So once the tank runs dry, it's dry. There's no like wanton fiery blast galore for no reason, you know. Like they're not just like throwing flames everywhere, you know, that sort of thing. So then, uh, you know, we join Irulan, the main character, and he's a mage who roams the land, and he's looking to atone for, you guessed it, some kind of grievance long ago. You're like, <laughs> ah, yes, it's like, yeah, you, you know, you know that grievance, you know that mistake that <laughs> they always make, you know, and they're always wanting to make right. He believes that the best way to spend his magic is to solve murder. You know, so he's not interested in doing the other wizard thing like let me uh let me clean up your well water or you know, like he doesn't want to do any sort of that wizardly bitch work. So he wants to solve murders and he has a raven companion Max who actually acts as his agent. So this raven like flies into these different towns and he's wearing like a, a sign saying like is there a crime is there a mystery then like you know you can attach a note and like write down what is your offer to do this job. So basically Ravens in the Sky is just going to follow these two people around. And they're just going to meet a lot of other characters along the way. And um, you know that's that's the crutch of it. And yeah. what sort of like subgenre of fantasy would you just say it's just general kind of high fantasy, low fantasy? Where would you kind of market it if you had the chance? That's been the problem. <laughs> it's been uh, such gotcha. a such a genre bending experience where it, it really is like a fantasy mystery, but underneath the surface, I'd have to just say dark fantasy. It goes into the darkest parts of like the human condition, you know, things such as like grief, guilt regret but then it also treats these things in a little bit of a humorous way so so there's enough humor in there to sort of uh get us through all those dark places like within our psyche you think humor is a pretty big aspect in your fiction yeah i, I think that like like when i'm writing i'm not thinking how can i make this funny but mm. whenever humor comes in then i'm like oh let me make sure i get that right you know because people connect through humor you know that's how we relate you know like if if these characters are laughing at something that we may laugh at it's a lot easier to suspend your disbelief to enter this secondary world and to go along with the ride and probably my strength as a writer from what i've been what i've been told so far as far as these reviews goes are the the strong characters they're complex they're flawed and they act real 
one of my characters defecates in the woods because you know what they had to do that <laughs> you know <laughs> you know so we don't we don't have you know not everything's pretty you know not everything's all pretty and and romantic all the time so that was always my gripe with wheel of time is nobody takes a shit the, the entire yeah. length of the series it's like... no, and, and and to be honest that's been my gripe with every book that i've really ever read is that there's really <laughs> no no shit taking time <laughs> You know, so how, how do you relate to someone who never experienced stomach? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe in fantasy worlds they all have like obstructed bowels or something. So they, yeah, they just can't, sh- they just can't shit. <laughs> or it's like South Park where they shit out of their mouth. <laughs> that episode where they're shitting out of their mouth. Yeah, and if that's the case, then you know the author really should come forward and describe exactly why. Like, why are there no bowel movements? Like, and. <laughs> Like, is it happening off page? Uh, put it in the prologue. They could just yeah. put it in the prologue. <laughs> I, I apologize. Yeah. Once upon a time, there was a world where bowel movements didn't exist. <laughs> I, I never read the prologue anyway, though, so like, I probably still wouldn't get that information. I'm not a big prologue guy. So do you think, for your fiction, what would you say the ratio of like humor to dark elements would be? Would you say... It's more humorous, or it's more dark, or is it more ba- is it kind of balanced out? Uh, I have one short story on Inkit.com, and I guess we could talk more about Inkit later. But that that one, this one story is actually more humor than darkness. But as far as like Ravens goes, in my main writing, the darkness is um, if I'm going to put like a percentage, like it's probably seventy percent dark, thirty percent humorous. Like it just has like a like a sprinkling of light, like there on the darkness. Because to me, terror and anxiety and humor, and this is like a lot of the academic work I did, like these things are all close cousins. You know, they they kind of come to the party together. Yeah, it's one thing to be, you know, frightened or in, in like a tough situation, like say out on a battlefield or, uh, you know, like in a cave or tunnels or something like that. But someone has to tell a joke. You know, someone has to make light of this really crappy situation that you might find yourself in. I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of like my, my philosophy as far as humor goes. And uh, it's also how I judge a lot of things. Like if you're going to criticize like TV shows, because we're in the age of everything taking itself way too seriously, in my opinion. I think even like uh, a lot of what would be considered mainstream grimdark, uh, for example, Song of Ice and Fire, it has elements of humor in it, for example, like Tyrion, but mm-hmm. it's pretty fucking dark most of the time. So there's really no levity at any point where you're kind of like, okay, let's take a break for a minute. It's just like one thing after the other, piling on, piling on. I know a lot of people kind of quit watching Game of Thrones for that purpose. It's just that it's unrelenting. So I, I do think some people need that break I mean, it's something Shakespeare even did with his tragedies. He had comedic characters to just kind of balance it out a little bit instead of always being so dark the whole time. Yeah, it's great. It's a great point you bring up Shakespeare because I think he really was uh, the grandfather of really incorporating comedy with tragedy, you know, bringing these things together because the human experience is messy. It's not like one way or the other. It's not like, oh, this is dark, 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 or this is funny, or this is light. Quite often, you know, you have a situation where, okay, something kind of sucks right now, but there's uh, maybe a little positive to take away from it. And it's actually kind of ironic that we're in this position. So it's, I mean, it's just that, like, that human experience. Like, as far as, like, what you're talking about with, like, George Martin, where you you don't want to get pigeonholed into being a one-trick pony. 
I mean, not that he is, I'm not saying he is, but if that's like the sort of criticism that people offer for those sort of bucks, then that's something I would like to avoid. I like to play it loose and fast. Can you tell us just a little bit more about uh, your literary influences and what kind of gave you your uh, your cues to write uh, Ravens in the Sky? Well, Tolkien, of course. I mean, he, uh, I would highly suggest for really any writer of fantasy to read Tree and Leaf by Tolkien. It's 40 pages and it, and it really works wonders about explaining how, you know, man desires to be like, uh, to hold, hold communion with nature, I think is what he says, that we want to get back to this sort of primordial distant past and we want to like make it a part of our present. So Tolkien was a big one. And as far as my writing, like I, I'm always looking to actually TV shows nowadays because I feel like the whole medium of how people are entertained is changing. And I'll look to TV shows like Firefly or, or the Japanese anime Cowboy Bebop, like shows where the characters have very strong dialogues together, very, very strong discussions. But they also, you know, they have jokes at each other's expenses, you know, so that way, like they, they make fun of each other's faults and, and that sort of thing. It's interesting that you mentioned TV as being a big influence because I think I think a lot of the strongest writing of our generation is coming from TV shows. Yeah. Like, for example, Breaking Bad, Sopranos, yep. The Wire. These are considered like masterpieces of TV. So we may even start to see more uh, writers want to become TV writers instead of novelists or become screenwriters. So there may be a shift towards that as time goes on. I, I, I don't know for sure, but I think that's an interesting point that a lot of people are getting more inspired by TV rather than only books. So that's yeah. interesting. Even uh, Peter Fugazzato, who we had on the show recently as well, talked about how he was examining uh, screenwriting and utilizing that in his writing as well. And I've never mm -hmm. looked into the, the TVN or script writing. I, that's kind of an area I've never delved into. That's definitely a place I want to go and look uh, from the conversations we've been having lately. But it is interesting. And I, I too think that we've kind of entered a golden age of TV where I think we're mm -hmm. just producing and seeing some stellar writing and production. Right. And it's, it's, it's awesome. Well, viewers more and more, viewers and readers, they, are, they want to be invested in something. So it's getting harder nowadays to actually create like a really good movie in like two hours or less that people feel like, oh, like I really got to experience this character fully. Like it's such a difference between one movie or even a movie with say like a, a sequel or, or a few sequels that get in, like increasingly worse with, you know, like seven seasons, you know what I mean? So it's like every year, you know, that. You know, it's like it's almost like a family reunion, you know, that you're getting your favorite characters back. I know that pretty soon uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead on Stars is going to save my life for <laughs> a few months. But people, they, they invest in entertainment, but we really want to connect with characters, too. So that's why I also designed Ravens to be a trilogy. And the first trilogy is really an origin story for like the group as it gets together. And then that sets the table for me to write serials in a sort of episodic, you know, TV fashion later. So that's kind of how that's like my game plan. We have noticed um, several guests tend to be more interested in episodic kind of storytelling uh, these days instead of not necessarily having a big, long epic mm -hmm. where everything is interconnected, but right. kind of more there's a big story, but each story can kind of stand on its own. And we're, we're noticing a lot of writers are kind of pushing towards that. Uh, where their books can stand alone by themselves, but they can also be read as a series. 
Yeah, and um, just like an academic paper, a work of literature, like any book or TV show, what have you, should work at different levels. Like the level that we could enjoy, like that episodic level, that sort of overarching level of like what's going on behind the scenes, like the entire time, like like what are we leading towards? And then like the sort of, you know, like a philosophical level too, where you kind of just like, you saturate yourself with like the writer's surroundings and you really just kind of soak in like what's being said here. Why are these characters saying this or or acting this way? And, uh, you know, it's really good foil for us. It is, you know, especially fantasy, because uh, it's hard for people to to get offended when you write fantasy. (laughs) Well, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) It's harder. People uh, people can get offended by anything, it seems like. Yeah, well, people are are pretty petty, too, and and there's plenty of that we meet I, it almost became a cliche where like uh my character's going from town to town to town and you have like the petty townsfolk you know that you know just want to stir up trouble you know just for the sake of it like who is the stranger and, and and it's cool to explore like the mob mentality that humans have too you know because you have that whole dynamic like we're a closed up town in like the north of this uh this fictional world and here's this stranger coming you know so it's like you know we, we deal a lot with uh like hey what do you think of this guy maybe we should do something about this guy you know, and like they kind of like play off each other and they plot and they you know so there's a lot of that involved too how far have you delved into um, creating your magic system? Like authors like Brandon Sanderson have literally written volumes on developing a magic system. And I think that's probably what he's best known for. But uh, mm. how did you go about uh, creating the magic system that you used for uh, Ravens in the Sky? Well, that's kind of interesting, Rob, because I had very basic notions. I, I was thinking like everything nowadays is being made more dark and real and gritty. And so I'm thinking like, how do you do that with magic? You know, it's a lot easier with science, like science fiction, I think, because, you know, you could use like technology to explain things. But how do you make fantasy and magic more believable? So I came up with like just a few ideas. And the main one was being that my main character has this mana pool, you know, like just like the old RPG games. Once you run out, you're done. Although I guess in those games, you, you, uh, you know, regenerate, but uh, that's taking, besides the point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so actually, not a lot of thought went into my magic system, but it's something that people keep on mentioning in the reviews. Like people are just like they love the well thought out magic system. Ah, and it was just natural. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to sit there and write a thesis on the magic. I just want to find <laughs> out a way to make it work where he's going to try to not use magic like ever. You know that he wants to use deduction like a good detective would. So that was my answer. Not everyone gets it. And there's a process that if someone who does not have magic is given magic by like a magic born person, then that magic turns septic and it actually sort of transforms the receiver of magic into like an evil mockery of like his or herself. Yeah. And, and these, these are actually creatures called imps and they, they're actually, they form the, uh, the greater bulk of uh, Irulan, our main character's enemies. So that's pretty interesting too. I'm a big fan of monsters and I almost always talk about, with everybody about monsters. Yep. Um, Rob can attest to this. Amen. I'm always like, are there monsters in your story? <laughs> Tell me about your monsters. <laughs> um, so you said the imps are a big, uh, big enemy in your stories. Do you have any other sort of creatures like a landopus or anything like that? <laughs> I don't have any eight legged landopus creatures in. <laughs> this particular book there is a work in progress 
where where there's there is a land octopus, all right, a land hyphen octopus, otherwise known as a as a landopus, and it's actually based on a science fiction world that is um, like a mix between like the the ocean's bottom and just the land as we know it. But that's the work in progress, and and that's for that's for another time. But thank you for asking about the uh, the land. Still. Appreciate that. Yeah. Now, what else were we just saying? <laughs> <laughs> the other other monsters that are in your story. The monsters. Uh, the people are the monsters. This is very much a people monster story. There are whites. Um, so there's like a necromancer who revives people and makes them into his little slaves sort of deal. Uh, so they're like little zombies, pretty much. Then, of course, there's this sort of enigmatic uh, villain who we don't see a whole lot of in this book uh and he's the one pulling this the strings and i'm trying to think because i don't want to spoil too much but the main villain he needs to manipulate people into killing so that way he can keep his magic so that's a little bit of a spoiler but he actually has to like get people to kill other people for some ritual which is a pretty interesting dynamic the way that happens yeah but as far as monsters i'm thinking that the further i go along as far as like my second and third book in this trilogy there's definitely much more of a chance of seeing monsters though as a matter of fact i did write some monsters in the second one but uh not so much in the first yeah let's talk about uh publication a little bit you decided to go the the indie route of publication what what made you decide to to go with that versus say uh traditional publication life is too busy and querying and all that it it takes a lot of time if if you want to get with a big publisher then that's kind of like just throwing a dart into the ocean and trying to you know hit a life raft a mid-level publisher wouldn't be too bad, but then all of these small presses, which is actually like what, you know, like the small e-presses, like the presses that most writers are actually using right now, mm-hmm. I didn't feel that they could do enough for me that I couldn't do myself as far as promoting and as far as distribution. So it, it wasn't worth giving up the rights to not only my characters, but the world. And like, if I ever wanted to write a second book, they would have, they would have the option to publish every book that I wrote in that world. You know, so, the, so that's kind of like the, uh, an example of like the terms that a lot of these presses put forward. But if you're willing to go get a professional editor like I did and just put up a, a few bucks, get a cover, a good website for new writers to check out for book covers is selfpubbookcovers.com. But what you have to do is you have to stake it out for months to see a cover that comes like, because they just make the covers. They, you know, they don't make it for you. They just kind of keep generating book covers. So you kind of have to kind of camp out and just wait for the right one to, to come your way. But if you're industrious and you're willing to do like your own social media work, join readers groups like how i met you those sort of things then i believe and i'm probably going to be on here in 10 years like oh i'm a damn failure like it didn't work (laughs) but but i believe that you know if you put out like your first book and you get like really good reviews and you do it yourself and you and and you can barter that in the future to to lock up like a literary agent and, and actually go like more the traditional publishing route later you know like in a way because it's like a vicious cycle where you can't get a literary agent without being published and you can't get published without having a literary agent. 
So you kind of just break that cycle by doing the first one yourself, manning up, getting it out there, working with other authors, uh, cross promoting. And once you, you like hit, like, say, I don't know, like maybe, you know, 30 plus reviews on Amazon or something, then you start querying again. You start saying, hey, look, these people have good things to say, you know, and so on and so forth. So that, that's my plan. I'll let you know. I mean, we could do a follow up in a year when I'm homeless. In <laughs> Yeah, living in a cardboard box here, like like going Manhattan or something. And yeah, we could. Do, you guys can do like a, you could be a street team, and you can come find me on the street to do a follow up. Well, we may be homeless. Too, so, <laughs> so when we, we could do a follow up, then all three of us together. Uh, yeah, this podcast may go in the shitter, and we may just be <laughs> roaming the streets. I don't know. Wow. And uh, so you also <laughs> utilized uh, Smashwords um, right. as well to to facilitate the digital release of uh, uh, Ra- yes. Ra- Ravens in the Sky. Tell us about uh, Smashwords. That's one topic that we really haven't covered as of yet on the podcast. So what would you, what would yeah. you recommend about it and what made you decide to go with Smashwords? I would say that with Smashwords, I use it as a repository to dish out like promotional copies of my book because uh, Smashwords actually gives you a lot more control than say like uh, Kindle Direct does or pretty much like any of the other platforms. So it's easy for me to like print out a coupon code, like where you can get the book for free. And, you know, you drop that with someone who'd like to, to review your book. And that's really, that's smash words. You're not going to sell a lot on it, but it's very useful. I, I found it very useful as far as that goes. The problem with smash words is that you find your work buried amongst the wear bear erotica. <laughs> And, My favorite kind. and wear cat erotica because if at any time you look at like the smashwords.com page I'm, I'm sure that there's something up there that just isn't kosher if you're on smashwords you have to keep in mind that no one is going to find your book through their website you know you have to do all the promoting you have to bring everyone to your actual book site on on smashwords because there's going to be very little uh, of people actually finding your book just from browsing it you know I think we should have a campaign to take back werebears for fantasy. <laughs> take it away from erotica and Legit- reclaim <sighs> werebear. We should legitimize werebears again. <laughs> yeah, we need legitimate werebear deep characters with... Mm-hmm. Stop the unethical literary treatment of werebears. I probably get hate for saying this, but I actually kind of respect erotica writers in a way because... They really don't give a shit sometimes. <laughs> like they're really like, yeah. I'm just gonna put whatever I want out and whatever yeah. creature I want people <laughs> to have sex with. I'm gonna do it. So to me, erotica r- writers are some of the bravest writers out there. <laughs> I almost want to see fantasy writers take on the same mentality as erotica writers sometimes and just kind of say, you know what, I'm gonna fucking write Landapus Adventures, <laughs> and <laughs> it's just gonna be. A fucking landopus uh, destroying <laughs> destroying the world. Whatever. Just like, fuck it. <laughs> Fantasy is such a big open genre that... It is. It just, it just confuses me sometimes when people kind of write very similar kind of stories and they don't really try to do anything different. Yeah, and if you can work a werebear and an eight-legged landopus into the same short story, <laughs> then... Rob will have you on here for a reading. <laughs> hey, Rob. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. The dark directions we take on this show sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. Smash words more utilitarian than mm-hmm. um, yeah. getting loads of sales. Okay. And then it you also a, had. It is a utility. You're right. Yeah. Gotcha. And then inkit.com is something that you've taken advantage of as well. And I had not heard of that site until you right. mentioned it to me. Tell me a little bit about uh, inkit. I think inkit is relatively new. I think I came in like they've only had a few a few of these contests so far, but it's a great place for you know self-published independent authors to come and share their work and not only share their work but improve it. You get a lot of feedback and you kind of you know it's a good place to sit there and tinker. So it's like oh you get this feedback from a review. So let me consider what I want to do. Then I go under the hood, tinker it a little bit, you know, and then then I get another problem. It's it's very helpful and plus. I've really I've 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 met a quite a few readers through it. They host these uh, writing contests uh, more and more frequently. Right now, they actually have five going on at the same time, and it's just a great place for uh, writers to mingle, uh, to meet new readers. Right now, I have Ravens in the Sky up on uh, a fantasy writing contest of theirs, and it's doing fairly well. And it's good to see that. Yeah, when people actually like your work and and people that don't know you, because as we all know, a lot of people, you know, farm reviews off people that, you know, they know like, oh, you know, please review this or or, or do that. But but Inc. it's a great place where people actually care about each other's work and they offer feedback and it's very competitive. But, you know, and that usually brings out the best in people. I think that's good for indie writers specifically is to have not only that spirit of competition, with other writers, but also that camaraderie with other writers mm-hmm. to help, you know, help each other out and uh, spread the word about each other's work when you can. That helps a lot because if you don't have a big publisher behind you, you kind of need those. Mm-hmm. We talked about before with uh, James Drake about evangelists, like people that will talk about your work and yeah. spread the word about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's really helpful for us. There, smaller. There is no room in the self-published world to be a dick. You have to cooperate. You have to promote each other because no one else is going to do it for you. And when you promote yourself, it doesn't mean anything. So you promote someone else, they promote you, and that's really the way forward. Like If you're not a part of a writer group that does that sort of thing, then you really should become a part of that. Whether it's Facebook or any other medium, it's required. You will not succeed on your own. It's, It's very, I just don't see that happening. Even yeah. even recently, me and some uh, writer friends of ours, we we actually started a top secret little uh, not not so top secret now, I guess, but a little <laughs> little group you now, like twenty twenty five people like me who are like looking to take that next step, and pretty much you know. So now we'll just share out and promote each other's work instead of just promoting our own work. So you yeah. know, the wider the net, the wider the net, the more the fish. Very good. So what's your uh, release schedule looking like? You've got book one, Ravens in the Sky, out now on Amazon and Smashwords, of course. Um, wh- yep. What's up with book two, book three? When can we look forward to those coming down the pike? Book two, and actually this is, uh, just to backtrack a second, this is why Smashwords is actually pretty good too, is that they let you do pre-orders. I, I haven't ah. put up a pre-order yet, but that's really cool to have that sort of control. But I would say that book two will be out sometime October. Which uh, pretty much fits the uh, you know the the atmosphere of the book, so I'm looking forward to that getting out getting out around October. That that's that's where I've I've set for myself. Maybe that's too optimistic. As a matter of fact, it probably is. So <laughs> let me let me tack a few months on that. No, I, I, I've been aiming for Halloween, but 
it's going to probably be more like November, December, just the way life goes. You know, sadly, I can't write all the time the way I'd like to, but I'm about a fourth done now as far as like the writing goes. So it's not going to take all that much longer. I'm on my way. Everything is mapped out. I know it's happening. It's just filling it in. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, we are just at, about out of time here. Uh, Will Bly, thanks again so much for uh, hanging out in the writer's pit with us. Uh, where can folks uh, find out more about you? Uh, WillBly.com, at Will underscore Bly on Twitter, you know, Facebook slash Will Bly. Very cool. Well, hey, man, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, best of luck with your writerly endeavors and uh, Ravens in the Sky. Be sure to read that. It's on Amazon right now. And uh, Will Bly, thanks so much for hanging out today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. It's great. Take back the werebears. Yay. Yeah. Take back the werebears, the werebearapus. Werebear <laughs> <laughs> if anyone can create a werebearapus, please, just, just I'll buy that. I'll buy it, no questions asked, as long as you don't I'm price it above $14. Thanks again to Will Bly for joining us on the show. Uh, you can find out more about us online. Check us out at facebook.com slash the Grim Tidings podcast. We are on Twitter at Grim Dark Fiction. Be sure to tweet, retweet, share the love, and uh, let people know about the show. And thanks to all the folks who have followed us on Facebook and Twitter. It's great to be uh, in the community and uh, looking forward to bringing you more shows coming up. And remember, all you writers out there, remember to get in the pit. And eat some grits. That was good. That was goddamn innovative.